Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. This is session 10 of The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein. Good to be back. I've been away uh, for a while. I've been on the road uh, for the last 10 days, um, driving my son to college. <coughs> uh, back and forth, I've driven a little over 3,000 miles uh, in the last uh, 10 days. So uh, that was fun. Uh, I got back safely. No problems on the road. Um, uh, uh, had a great time. Um, I did a lot of uh, dictating things uh, using Siri on my phone, which was kind of hilarious, not going to lie. Um, I think the most hurtful thing that Siri did uh, the whole week was uh, once she transcribed, I said Signum University, and she transcribed it as Saruman University. And I was like, oh, oh, that stings. That stings. That's a personal dig, Siri. Uh, you wound me. Um, but uh, I think she was trying to make it up to me later on when I, uh, um, when I had to dictate my own name. And I said, and President Olson will do this because I was doing accreditation documents. And, uh, and she dictated my name as President Awesome. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, okay. Right, I see you trying to butter me up there, Siri. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I had a good time. I had a good time. Uh, we had fun. Uh, my son is safely deposited at college, uh, and uh, 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 a, a rumor is attending classes, so we'll see. Um, but um, really glad to be back. Uh, we have, so here's the itinerary from here. Um, this today should be. The uh, today should be the antepenultimate class. Uh, we're two sessions after this, so we get tonight and then two more. Um, and then we sh uh, that my plan is that we'll be done uh, with the moon as a harsh mistress uh, at the end of that time, and then um, we will right away without a break start the nature of Middle Earth. Um, you know, I've been shooting for that. That's a week later than I'd originally planned, which is pretty good. That almost counts as on schedule, really. Um, but anyway, that's that's what I'm um, um, that's what I'm shooting for. Um, so we'll we'll see. So we'll we'll jump in pretty quickly there. Just quick reminders before we uh, get going. Just uh, to remind you that New England moot is now as of today, one month away. Uh, September twenty fifth, Saturday, September twenty fifth is going to be uh, a New England moot in Durham, New Hampshire. Um, a lot of signups for this already. Uh, really looking forward to this uh, getting together in Durham, New Hampshire. And of course, you can also attend <clears throat> digitally if you would like. And then we have Middle Moot in Waterloo, Iowa that is coming up on the 9th of October. Uh, so those are our two definite, uh, most imminent upcoming moots. Uh, and uh, uh, looking forward to connecting with folks there. The last thing I just wanted to, uh, uh, not exactly an announcement, but um, we are, we've been talking to um, homeschoolers for our Signum Clubs program. Um, and I just, if anyone, if you know of anyone who is in, who would be interested, um, we've been talking specifically to homeschool groups about 
um, using our Signum Clubs program, especially for language options. I know that one of the things that small schools and homeschoolers, like small private schools and homeschoolers alike, often have struggle with, is finding you know a good like variety of uh, foreign language instruction. Um, and our clubs program is actually kind of awesome for that. You know, we can do. Um, uh, we have a, a large number of languages: uh, French, Spanish, German, Gaelic, Japanese, um, uh, Latin, New Testament, Hebrew, uh, New Testament Greek, Hebrew, and um, Old Norse and Old English. Uh, so we can do any or all of those languages. Um, so um, uh, yeah, we actually have uh, um, we have recently begun. Um, uh, partnering with a, a local private school here in New Hampshire, we're we're, we're running their Spanish program this year, which is really cool. I was just hanging out with them earlier this evening. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to kind of mention that, and anyone who uh, you know might know of like a homeschool co-op group, perhaps um, you know near you, or maybe your family is connected with one, um, who might be interested in. Um, uh, you know, talking with us about how we could you know help you guys with foreign languages. That's uh, and of course creative writing and our book clubs and stuff as well. But I know the language is often a curricular need, which is challenging for folks. So just wanted to mention that uh, and see if uh, uh, if anybody, uh, if you do uh, have uh, you know a suggestion or want to introduce us to somebody who might want to talk about that, uh, just go ahead and send an email to info at signumu.org and let us know. So uh, thanks. All right. Let us uh, move towards the great crisis, which, of course, uh, the revolutionary leaders are attempting to accelerate uh, in every way that they can. Um, we'll see if we can get to uh, the battle on the moon, the invasion of the moon. Um, that's um, that's my goal for tonight, to get to the invasion. Um, but first, we were in, in the tail end of the reveal, right? When Prof and Manny get back to Luna... Uh, from Earth, right on their way back, like right, you know, when they're when they're actually in the spaceship on the way back to the moon, is when Prof finally comes clean uh, with Manny and tells him what their goal really was, right? Um, and that's what we were in the middle of looking at. Um, why was it that they were not honest with Manny? What they were attempting to do, and we uh, saw how Prof was actively attempting uh, to antagonize them, right? Wanting to ensure that whatever happened, there was not a reasonable solution. Um, so, um, yeah, hey, that's a good idea, James. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, yeah, sorry, battle in the moon, earthworm. Yes, you're right, Arthur. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's jump back into this. First, a couple things I wanted to... Um, uh, kind of skip around to because before we got back into the middle of that discussion uh, and I didn't want to interrupt it um, but I did want to pick up on a couple brief passages related to a um, um, related to <clears throat> an issue that we've been looking at before and that is thinking more about the Manny's relationship or Manny's reactions to cyborgs as a really interesting data point on the question of like who is and who is not a person and thinking about, you know, we've talked about Manny as, you know, himself in his own body representing, you know, being kind of on the frontier between uh, uh, human and machine um, and that he has a, a persistently um, uh, negative view of cyborgs. This was from his conversation um, with the uh, the dude from Great China uh, down on Earth. 
um, you know, the guy says, I don't visualize that. It's, he's talking about the trajectories of how they launch stuff from the theoretical catapult on Earth and to get it up to the moon. Neither do I, Doctor, but excuse me, but isn't there an exceptionally fine computer at Peiping University? And if there is, did I detect an increase in bland inscrutability? A cyborg computer? Pickled brains? Or live ones? Aware? Horrible either way. Horrible either way. So the uh, Mike gaining awareness and personhood from Manny, um, uh, seemingly unquestionably, at the, uh, unquestioningly at the beginning, as we saw, is fine, right? Humans having prosthetics are, is fine, um, but this kind of deliberate, um, this kind of deliberate um, uh, connection. Right. Um, deliberate merging or blurring. Um, is it a blurring of the line? Is it just a merging of the two? Um, however you do it. Right. A cyborg computer. Remember, he had alluded to this. Manny had alluded to this possibility. There were rumors um, that down in the earth, uh, the Chinese were experimenting with this, that they had a computer, um, which it does kind of sound like he's a little bit fishing towards. Right. Isn't there an exceptionally fine computer at Peiping University? Right. Um what um, uh, you know? Can he? He's gonna like reveal anything about that uh, special computer? Um, whether it's pickled brains, so some a computer that is somehow use utilizing inert, I guess, brain tissue as part of its processing unit is one theory. I guess that you know Manny has about how it might work, or maybe there's. A brain that's being kept alive, so you've got a living human brain that's connected to the computer and working as, again, a processing unit in some way. Um, but it doesn't matter. Um, either way, according to Manny, that's horrible, right? So I'm not sure I fully identify exactly what it is about cyborgs in particular. That is horrible. Um, I, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm st I still don't think I really see the pattern yet. But let's look at one more, and then we'll think a little bit more about the pattern. This is his a very brief reference to the cyborg pilot who is flying their ship from Earth back up to Luna. Wired up ex-human piloting us went in as one maneuver without bothering to orbit and gave us even heavier beating. Ship was light and lively, but change in motion is under two and a half kilometers, was over in 19 seconds, and we were down at Johnston City. I took it right, just a terrible constriction in chest and a feeling as if giant were squeezing heart, then was over and I was gasping back to normal and glad to be proper weight, but did almost kill poor prof. Mike told me later that pilot refused to surrender control. Mike would have brought ship down in a low G, no brick -um egg, knowing prof was aboard, but perhaps that cyborg knew what he was doing. A low G landing wastes mass and Lotus Lark grounded almost dry. Okay, so... Two interesting things about the cyborg pilot here, right? Um, wired up ex-human is how he characterizes him, right? Wired up ex-human. So the cyborg has ceased to be human in Manny's opinion, like in Manny's view, right? This is not 
a different category of human. This and and again, this is especially note noticeable, not only because Manny is himself so machine friendly, but also so generally accepting of humans. Right. I mean, there's the the one of the trends that's been very clear from the beginning is this sort of like the the extent to which loonies don't even understand. Um, you know, I, I mean, this, of course, came up again while he was on Earth. We didn't look at these passages um, uh, in detail, but um, like the ones where he was like, they, they don't even get racism. Like they don't you know that he finds it so odd. Right. That people care that there are different you know, colors of skins of people in his family. Right. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, so, I mean, this, this, the idea that, um, you know, Luna is this place where, you know, anybody is accepted and it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter where you come from. Um, those two things, his, uh, you know, Manny's particular, um, sort of pro machine perspective, pro computer perspective, and the general accepting of everybody-ness, right, of Luna, make his attitude towards cyborgs particularly noticeable. It just jumps out at me. I mean, I don't, I, I'm trying to think of anything else. I mean, yes, he hates earthworms, right? He's biased against earthworms. He has an anti, uh, anti-earthling um, uh, bias, but that's kind of different. It's not, it's not, it's not the same as this, right? Um, wired up ex-human. And so just that by itself sounds dismissive. That is like scornful, right? Um, and it would seem at first from the rest of that paragraph that he's basically saying, you know, this wired up ex-human, um, was screwing everything up, right? It almost killed, he almost killed Prof. The concession in the second paragraph is interesting, though, right? Um, the pilot refused to surrender control. That's by itself an interesting point, by the way. Um, uh, that is, the pilot could, might be a wired up ex-human, but it still has free will, right? I mean, it still would seem to be is it? You'd think? At least as much of a person as Mike is? Right? Is the cyborg pilot aware of itself? Right? Is it, um, um, is it, is it making its own choices? Right? Is it, is it alive in the sense, you know, you know, thinking of the ways in which we were looking at and Manny was attempting to define or think through what it meant to be alive, what it meant to have consciousness. Um, if Mike does, does the cyborg pilot not? We see it acting independently, right? It refused to surrender control to Mike, right? So it it um, it um, you know maintains its its uh, on to- its autonomy there. And Manny admits that it, perhaps that cyborg knew what he was doing, right? Um, I also can't help but notice he uses a, he uses he right he doesn't call it it or something like that. Um, that cyborg knew what he was doing. Um, so he does, at least sort of speculatively, right, attribute, um, um, uh, attribute some kind of awareness or, and I'm not, that doesn't attribute personality, but choice, certainly. Um, uh, yeah, David, it does seem to me to in- indicate independent awareness, um, as well. And I, yeah, I would think that, um, if it were simply 
a computer that's you know it's like just a mechanism attached to you know human meat basically right if it did not really have a mind independent mind of its own that would explain manny's attitude to it but that certainly does that just does not seem to be the case um but um yeah yeah um i, I agree stephen that this decision that the cyborg is making here um doesn't necessarily you know stephen is pointing out that uh nothing about this particular decision suggests anything beyond calculation of variables. Yes, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's not like this uh, is a decision that screams personhood, right? You're, you're right about that. Um, it is, uh, um, there's merely this kind of, um, uh, kind of assertion of independence in a sense. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Stephen says, Manny lost his arm and used a machine to replace it, but he's a person with machine parts. Yes, agreed. Similarly, Mike is a machine that has gained personhood. Okay, yes. The impression I get is that cyborgs seem to be the reverse, where human parts are incorporated into machinery to take advantage of biological efficiency. Well, that certainly, going back to the pickled brains, right, that seems clearly... Whether they're living or dead is the only question that he doesn't, you know, well, he doesn't know if it's true, right? But it, but either way, it would be horrible. It doesn't matter, right? Whether you're just using inert, um, but, you know, the fact that a brain is being kept alive and aware, right? Therefore, in some sense, retaining its personhood, right? I mean, if you've got a living brain that's aware of its surroundings, you know, that's aware of itself, and it's hooked up to a computer. How is that different from Mike? I mean, apart from the fact that it's made of meat instead of semiconductors, right? Um, that that's uh, that would seem to be almost exactly like Mike, right? But it's horrible um, to Manny. Um, so yeah, Stephen, it does sound to me like you know the incorporation of human parts, even if it's a brain, even if it's an aware brain, right? That is. That is not okay. So maybe it is in that sense, like the direction that it's going, Stephen. If you like a Mike arising out of machine inert machine, and somehow many not understanding how becoming aware, right, becoming alive, um, that's okay. He's got no problem with that. But if you go the other direction, um, and yes, that he himself has taken a step down that road, right. But I agree with you, Stephen. The direction points the other way there. He is using his arm as a machine, right? His arm is to him a tool. He carries them around like a tool belt, right? Um, the multiple arms uh, that he has that he uses for different occasions. He very explicitly um, looks at his prosthetic as an extension of himself, right? A, merely a tool that he equips and employs um, as opposed to certainly not something that is kind of connected to his like personhood. It's not part of him, right? It's an instrument that he uses, but more importantly, it certainly doesn't subordinate him and his personhood. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Tomas, that's exactly the thing. One could, one would think that it is possible that if the living aware brain 
connected, the, you know, possibly theoretically connected to this computer at Peiping University. If it retained memories, right, if it were aware in some way, um, perhaps through, I mean, again, if it's if it's plugged in to computer circuitry, presumably it could be aware of things, again, just like Mike, right? Again, it's, it, it could be exactly like Mike, except for the fact that at the core um, of, uh, you know, the, the processing power of this thing would be a living brain instead of semiconductors, um, instead of circuitry. Um, but, um, so yeah, so you're right, Tomas, that it is, it is conceivable that you could just consider that a living person, right? A living person, um, aided by mechanisms, but Manny clearly does not, right? That has definitely, um, that has definitely cr crossed the line. And Michelle, I tend to agree with you there. Michelle is saying he perhaps thinks that the brain would be enslaved to the computer, and it's that slavery component that repulses him. Michelle, of course, your use of the word slavery is really interesting, right? Very apt, because that really ties it into the entire theme of things, right? Is that so, you know, uh, the human part of a cyborg is to the mechanism as, you know, Luna was to the authority? Right. To the lunar authority, um, just as the, you know, so the lunar authority as this external mechanism that is exploiting and, um, uh, you know, it's 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 enslaving. Right. It's like the wires that are plugged into, you know, the loony, the, the Luna is like the human brain. Right. Which is being utilized, which is being exploited, which is being enslaved. Um, and that that's in a sense, how he understands the cyborg relationship, it would certainly, I mean, that, that idea, Michelle, certainly does, I think, make a lot of, make, it makes a lot of sense of it in the sense that it makes this consistent. That was this thing I was struggling with most was that he seems like prejudiced against cyborgs in ways in which Manny is just not prejudiced anywhere else. It doesn't fit the rest of his character, but that would fit. Right. If that's how he understood it, um, uh, that it is really like a, just an extreme form of exploitation, that would certainly be true um, of, uh, of the person's brain, presumably, that was hooked up to the cyborg computer at Peiping University, assuming it exists. Um, but um, but I mean, is it true of the pilot as well? Did, did the pilot not sign up for this? Um, is the pilot... Um, being used, being enslaved. I mean, whether or not he chose it of his own free will, the pilot, I mean, maybe the, you know, before the pilot became a cyborg, um, you know, maybe he enlisted, right? Like, hey, yeah, you know, be a cyborg pilot. Great, you know, uh, benefits. I, I don't know, you know, um, you know, maybe it was the incentive program. I don't know. Uh, but um, I, um, Whether or not, Michelle, it would still make sense to me that Manny would kind of see him in that way, whether he was, you know, just as, of course, like uh, the wheat farmers of Luna. Right. They want to continue sending grain. You know, they they they, they are the, the ones who are least likely to stay on board with the revolution, the ones whom Prof is most concerned to continue to manipulate. Right. Um, but just because they voluntarily enslave themselves. 
to the authority um, because they don't see any other option of how to support themselves. Um, nevertheless, that doesn't make it, you know, in Manny's view, less, uh, you know, an instance of slavery, I guess. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Jocelyn and Bruce both asking the same thing about, um, you know, do we have any idea how the human... No, we're not given... I mean, I think we've now looked at... Almost, I, I, I don't remember any other references to cyborgs than the ones we've already talked about, which is why I wanted to pause and have this discussion now. Um, this is all the references that I recalled. Um, maybe I've missed one or two, but, um, but I don't think we're going to get anything more in this book, so I figure we might as well have at it here. Um, and it's interesting to me that we don't get any information about that, about how people become cyborgs. All we get is this harsh dismissal um, every time that cyborgs are mentioned um, by Manny. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Now, Michelle, I just keep coming back to your idea because that feels right to me. It feels right because it fits the pattern that we see everywhere else. It's it's the most satisfying uh, reading that I've heard. Um, because, yes, it's not to say... It's, I, I, I didn't mean to suggest a minute ago that the choice of the person wouldn't matter. Of course, it makes a big difference whether the person has been voluntarily or involuntarily made into a cyborg. Um, but to Manny, in a sense, it wouldn't matter, right? A cyborg would sort of represent everything he most deeply hates and resents, right? Um, you know, he dislikes how loonies are treated by the man, right? Well, the cyborg is the ultimate illustration, right? The cyborg is like a metaphor, um, you know, as I was suggesting, a metaphor for, you know, loony society and its relationship to the authority. Um, uh, you know, remember the stuff uh, back in the beginning about uh, doing business with the authority, right? Everybody does business with the authority, of course, just like you do business with the law of gravity, right? What would be like saying, so as a cyborg, you know, do you, um, you know, do you do business with, you know, computers and mechanism yeah yeah of course you do right you can't do anything else you're hooked up to that and if you were to try to detach yourself from it you couldn't even survive which was what manny thought at the beginning right you know he he was he hated authority but he wasn't uh contemplating a revolution because he didn't think it was possible um and for cyborgs it would appear it is completely impossible they could not live on their own um, they are all they're they're completely dependent, completely enslaved um, to this external thing, right? And so therefore they have given up voluntarily, not voluntarily. But again, in either case, they represent you know that sort of final surrender of autonomy, of personhood, of you know of independent personhood. Um, I think that works. I think that works. Uh, makes sense. Okay. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to go too. F uh, to, oh, yes, yeah, sorry. I had just mentioning my subtitle there. Um, that was another thing I found interesting about this. Um, when Manny gets freaked out by cyborgs, one theory could be what's well, like an extreme version of the Uncanny Valley, right? Because you could say that a cyborg who is mostly actually human is is closest to. Remember, that's uh, the Uncanny Valley is when you. Um, 
have this sense of revulsion at something which is almost human, but not quite, right? And the closer it gets to human, the more it creeps you out until it passes another certain point. Um, you could say that, again, the cyborgs are just like the bottom of the uncanny valley uh, for Manny, right? But I, I think that's clearly not the case. A, uh, a, a live brain connected up to a computer is not very close to humans, right? That would not be... You might experience revulsion uh, from that, but it wouldn't be an uncanny valley phenomenon. That's not what we're talking about here. So I, j I thought that was an interesting little data point on its own, too. Anyway, OK, back to Prof and what they are doing and what they are doing specifically with Manny. Uh, you may remember uh, before, uh, at the beginning, when he was even in the midst of complimenting Wyo uh, on her oratory um, at the initial meeting, um, Manny rather dismissively said oratory is a null program, right? Um, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't really accomplish anything. Well, maybe not, right? This is in their um, reception when they returned to Luna. Prof's words reached more, nearly three million. Video carried scene to those who could not crowd into Old Dome. Cable and relay flashed it across lonely Maria to all Warrens. He... Uh, he grabbed a chance to tell of slave future authority plan for them. Waved that white paper. Here it is, he cried. Your fetters, your leg irons. Will you wear them? No. They say you must. They say they will H-bomb. Then survivors will surrender and put on these chains. Will you? No. Never. Never, agreed Prof. They threaten to send troops. More and more troops to rape and murder. We shall fight them. Duh. We shall fight them on the surface. We shall fight them in the tubes. We shall fight them in the corridors. If die we must, we shall die free. Yes, yeah, da, tell them, tell them. And if we die, let history write, this was Luna's finest hour. Give us liberty or give us death. Some of that sounded familiar, but his words came out fresh and new. I joined in roars. Look, I knew we couldn't whip Terra. I'm tech by trade and knew that an H-missile doesn't care how brave you are, but was ready to. If they wanted a fight, let's have it. Interesting that once again, um, Manny shows himself here to be, uh, he's the, the typical loony. Right. He is the, the like the indicator for if you want to know how a loony is going to respond to the situation, look at what Manny does. Right. Um, and this, of course, seems to be one of his functions. Right. One of the reasons that they wanted him brought down. Right. Um, I, he is um, um, he is the perfect lunar representative. And the perfect person for the loonies themselves, the rest of the loonies, to identify with, right? I mean, he is the quintessential um, loony. Um, yeah, exactly, David. You can know how a loony will respond in any situation without the bother of asking him. Exactly. Just see what Manny does, and then you know. That's exactly right. Um, uh, Prof's oratory here is extremely effective, right? And of course, uh, he's... Um, Doing a little recycling, right? It's good, right? We've got some Churchill. We've got some, uh, uh, you know, so we're, we're pulling from World War II. We're pulling from the American Revolution, right? I love that line. Some of that sounded familiar. Yeah, yeah, it did just a little bit. Um, but um, 
Uh, but yeah, Prof, of course, is a student of history, as we know. He knows those speeches very well and has deliberately, deliberately repurposed them, just as he deliberately repurposed um, uh, Thomas Jefferson, right, uh, for the declaration for their Declaration of Independence. Um, and um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a, this is a this is a, a calculated uh, um, move by prof, right, to utilize. And notice, again, Manny's reaction. His words came out fresh and new. Yeah, yeah, he's recycling, right? Um, but um, but he's doing it really well, right? He is deploying these ideas. Notice how this is being kind of turned around, right? Uh, by turned around, I mean when they were on Earth, um, they were attempting to exploit Earth. Earth, you know, earthling, different earthlings, right? Or different earthworms, historical associations, playing up the July 4th thing, remember, in North America, right? Um, in order to invite, very actively invite uh, the North Americans that they were meeting and talking to, to associate them with their own uh, American revolution. Um, so they, you know, the July 4th thing, they were working on very, what's it now what's happening here, right? Now, Prof is doing it the other way around. Instead of trying to characterize the lunar revolution and take advantage of, of, of you know, American revolutionary sentiment uh, to try to raise sympathy with Luna, now he is exploiting um, the connections back the other way, right? Now he's importing from the American revolution in order to further uh, the lunar revolution, Um and, uh, yeah, Stephen, you're right. The loonies are rather used to recycling anyway, right? Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You get your, uh, uh, you, you get your water continu in a continuous cycle. You get your air in a continuous cycle. Uh, you get your rhetoric in a continuous cycle. It all, it all, it all works. Um, um, yeah, Re recirculated rhetoric. That's exactly, uh, that's exactly what Prof is giving them here. Um, but the, here's the thing I couldn't, so there, here's the thing that I couldn't get away from. Just a rousing speech is, you know, why not, right? Rhetoric is a is a, an important tool to use, right? I don't consider rhetoric immoral. Um, I don't have any problem with that. Um, but the the, it was the give us liberty or give us death that really sort of, I mean, the Churchill quote was fun. You know, the, we shall fight them on the surface. We shall fight them in the tubes, right? Um, or the adaptation, I should say, of the, uh, uh, it's, it's a Churchill adaptation, not a quotation. Um, but um, <clears throat> when he goes to give us liberty or give us death, um, uh, I, again, I couldn't shake the connection back to the way in which they were because they were overtly manipulating, right? It wasn't true. I mean, the connection with July 4th did, in fact, turn out to be true. But in the next paragraph, they were talking about how, um, you know, when they went to Mexico, they were like, oh, yeah, no, it happened on Cinco de Mayo, actually. That's totally when the revolution happened, right? I mean, they were perfectly willing to tell lies in order to manipulate the audience, right, um, by making these associations. Um, we see him manipulating uh, the loonies in a similar way. It's not the same. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, 
lump those in too casually because what they did, the kind of manipulation that they're doing down there in North America is different from the kind of manipulation that he's doing here. Um, but um, he, but yet I can't forget it, right? I can't forget what he was doing before, right? Um, and Manny, despite the fact that he himself was very resistant to rhetoric before, Manny swallows it, right? I knew we couldn't whip Tara, right? He's he's not just going to be like, yay, let's go attack Tara, right? Let's just, um, we can fight them, um, but was ready to. If they wanted to fight, let's have it, right? He, he responds. He responds. Um, we see Manny being... Um, 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 we see Manny being uh, manipulated in a similar way, but of course that's part of the pattern of what we've been seeing, right? Let's keep look look how it goes on from here, right? Um, this is in uh, with the uh, new Congress. During evening session, Prof reported on trip and then yielded to me, committee chairman Kors, uh, Kors, uh, Korsakov, consenting, so that I could report what five-year plan meant and how authority had tried to bribe me. I'll never make a speaker, but had time during dinner break to swat speech Mike had written. He had slanted it so nastily that I got angry all over again and was angry when I spoke and managed to make it catching. Congress was ready to riot by the time I sat down. Prof stepped forward, thin and pale, and said quietly, Comrade members, what shall we do? I suggest, Chairman Korsakov consenting, that we could discuss informally how to treat this latest insolence to our nation. One member from Novilen wanted to, to declare war, and they would have done so right then if Prof had not pointed out that they were still hearing committee reports. Manny could say, um, I'll never make a speaker, Right? He's, he's, he's not a rhetorician. He's not a performer. He can't, like Prof, stand up and work the crowd in the way that Prof is able to do, the way that Wyo is, was able to do, right? Um, the way even Adam Celine is able to do in different ways. Manny can't do that. Doesn't see himself that way. That's not one of his talents. And yet, we can see what his role in politics is, right? Um, it's him. It is he who makes them want to declare war. How? How? Because he's a better speaker than he thinks he is? In one sense, yeah, I think he is better than he thinks he is. But it's not just that. It's not just that he has a poor, you know, an inaccurate assessment of himself, right? It's not just that. It is how it happened. How did it, how did it happen? How was he able to... Uh, make such a an effective speech, right? Um, uh, yes, Devora, through his emotion, right? Because he was angry. Mike and Prof, presumably, um, wrote a speech for him designed not to emotionally manipulate the audience, but to emotional, emotionally manipulate Manny himself. So that Manny himself would deliver this speech in the grip of strong, honest, and spontaneous emotion. And knowing that when Manny spoke like that, um, out of his own passion, right? And his own honest, he's not acting, right? He's not pretending. Um, 
And when he does that, people listen, right? Um, that's what catches on. So they don't ask him, him, Manny, to manipulate the audience. They manipulate him, and then he affects the audience in exactly the way that they had in mind. Now, Stephen Keen, that's a really interesting observation. Stephen asks, have Mike and Manny switched roles? Is Manny now executing Mike's programming? A great question. Uh, a question to be asked, uh, as we will uh, see more later on. Um, but yeah, we get a kind of a glimpse. Of, it, it sounds almost like that, doesn't it? Um, again, that's one of the reasons why I was recalling that phrase by Manny when he called um, rhetoric a null program. He was wrong. It's not a null program. It's a program that produces results, right? But it's still a program. Um, and uh, we see ways in which um, prof's rhetoric. Uh, that's why I, I'm really interested in the crowd responses. No, never, right? That we get there. Um, it's not an old program. It's producing results, right? You you plug in these things, and and then we see prof plugging in these famous quotations from uh, uh, you know from uh, rhetorical history, right? Why? Because he knows the response to them. Um, he those are because it's not a no program, uh, right? This is a program which has produced. These are, uh, uh, you know, these are these are command lines uh, in his rhetorical program, um, which he knows are well calculated to produce results, um, and they do produce the results, right? But here we see this, Stephen, exactly as you're suggesting, one step further back, right, where the rhetorician himself is the one who has been programmed. Um, and um, uh, here's there are a couple really interesting things about this. Thing number one, it calls into question, right, that I cannot help but think and think very regularly throughout this section about ends and means, right? Um, the justification of means um, by the calculation of the ends that those means will be able to achieve, right? Um, they keep Manny in the dark because he's more effective in the dark, right? Because they have calculated that he will serve better the cause which he himself wants to serve if he does not know the context, if he does not know the reality, right? Um, if they can manipulate him, even though that means lying to him, that means keeping him in the dark about things he'd really want to know about, um, it's okay. They can do those things. They're willing to do all of those things, um, even though Manny, at least briefly, finds it hurtful, right? He's hurt when he finds that they've kept him in the dark like this. Um, but it's worth it. And even he, Manny, agrees that it's worth it, concedes that it was worth it, right? And yet, immediately after, we see him, he seems completely unsuspicious in this passage of how he has been manipulated, right? Um, again, we can now clearly see the pattern, um, but um, we, but it's not clear that even now, even when he's writing this years later, that he fully sees it, right? Um, and that's and that's kind of interesting, right? But here's the other thing. I can't help but remember the cyborgs. Um, especially, Michelle, if you're right, if it's about the enslaving of something, if 
The Connection of a Living Brain to a Computer is Horrible, by Manny's word. Um, What is he, right? Um, Is he being used like the human brain? Um, Because of his very genuine, very honest, very dependable, um, very trustworthy human reactions, um, you know, not, not only can they know how loonies are going to react just by looking out of the, the corner of their eyes at Manny and how he's reacting, um, but loonies will respond to him, right? Because he completely shares their perspective. Um, and so when he is passionate like this, he can make them passionate as well, right? So, yeah, does that make Manny the human brain that's being used by the computer, or is it the one using the computer? Is it horrible either way? Um, how horrible is this? How uncomfortable should we be about Manny's role, which increasingly, even in passages like this, we can see through, even though Manny himself, as narrator, doesn't seem to see through it. And that's what I was, of course, talking about before, when I was talking about how the it's not that the narrator exactly becomes unreliable, um, but... I just love the way that Heinlein accomplishes this, the way that he can get us to distance ourselves from Manny as narrator and that now we see through and around um, the things that Manny is actually telling us here. Um, Okay. This is still back in his, uh, this is back again to his conversation with Prof as they were, uh, uh, as they're in the ship. Um, Prof has just said that they're going to continue sending grain. You told them shipments would stop at once. That was a threat, not a moral commitment. A few more loads won't matter, and we need time. We don't have everyone on our side. We have only a minority. There is a majority who don't care either way, but can be swayed temporarily. We have another minority against us, especially... Sorry, we have another minority against us. So there's the minority on their side, there's the majority in the middle that don't care either way, and there's the minority against us, especially grain farmers whose interest is never politics but the price of wheat. They are grumbling but accepting scrip, hoping it will be worth face value later. But the instant we announce that shipments have stopped, they will be actively against us. Adam plans to have the majority committed to us at the time the announcement is made. How long? One year? Two? Two days, three days, perhaps four. Carefully edited excerpts from that five-year plan, excerpts from the recordings you've made, especially that yellow dog offer, exploitation of your arrest in Kentucky. Hey, I'd rather forget that. Prof smiled and cocked an eyebrow. Ah, uh, I said uncomfortably, okay, if we'll help. It will help more than any statistics about natural resources. Again, we see Manny signing up for it, right? We see him agreeing. He doesn't want to be utilized this way. Um, He would rather they did not exploit his arrest in Kentucky. He's embarrassed by his arrest in Kentucky. He finds it shameful. He was, remember, he was hoping Mimi wouldn't see it. Um, But, um, uh, But he's willing, right? Because he agrees with the ends, right? Yes, it's 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 for the cause, right? It's for the cause. Okay, well, if it's for the cause, then then that's that's okay, right? Now it's right after this that Prof is going to deliver that speech, 
right? That speech, which is calculated um, to sway the majority, right? To bring the majority around so that the minority against them, especially the grain farmers, are not going to be able to make enough headway because they will have the majority on the revolutionary folks will have the um, the majority on their side. But they have to act fast within a couple of days. Um, and David, I agree. It is a little uncomfortable how Prof is going yellow journalism here. Carefully edited excerpts from that five-year plan, excerpts from the recording you've made, especially that yellow dog offer, exploitation of your arrest in Kentucky. Um, he is committing himself, as they've been doing all along, to a whole-scale campaign of the manipulation of public, the fraudulent manipulation of public opinion. They're not just biased in their reporting. They are editing everything to make everything sound as bad as it can possibly be, right? The word which Manny often uses, the verb that Manny often uses to describe it is slant, right? Um, he'll say that, the, you know, on account of what, like, or the, you know, the, the earthworm news stories are slanted nastily, right, to make them sound worse than they are. Um, but Prof, of course, is here being more explicit about that which Manny accepts, Right. Um, and characterizes under that verb slant. Right. Um, and Bruce, I agree. We're right back to what it is moral for the group to do. That would be immoral for the individual to do. Right. Um, it is kind of uncomfortable, but then it's even more uncomfortable. Right. What does Prof believe in? Back a couple of chapters before conversation he was having with Manny on Earth. Kerala had a planned famine last year. Did you see it in the news? No, because it wasn't in the news. A managed democracy is a wonderful thing, Manuel, for the managers. And its greatest strength is a free press, when free is defined as responsible, and the managers define what is irresponsible. Do you know what Luna needs most? More ice. <laughs> I love, Manny is like, like unstoppably practical, right? More, more ice is what Luna needs most. A new system that does not bottleneck through one channel. Our friend Mike is our greatest danger. Huh? Don't you trust Mike? Manuel, on some subjects, I don't trust even myself. Limiting the freedom of news just a little bit is in the same category with the classic example a little bit pregnant. We are not yet free, nor will be, as long as anyone, even our ally Mike, controls our news. Someday I hope to own a newspaper independent of any source or channel. I would happily set print by hand, like Benjamin Franklin. The freedom of the press is the most important thing, right? That's what Luna needs most, is this kind of freedom. Limiting the freedom of news just a little bit is not possible, right? Luna is not free, nor will ever be free, as long as anyone controls the news. But of course, Prof is himself planning and carrying out the plans. Not just to bottleneck, not just to control, not just to censor, but actively to manufacture news. He is acting with Mike and in the name of the revolution exactly contrary to his own principles. 
explicitly. Explicitly. I mean, this is the same guy talking about the freedom of the press and setting print by hand like Benjamin Franklin to avoid censorship. And the same guy who was saying carefully edited excerpts from that five-year plan, excerpts from the recording you've made, um, exploitation of your arrest in Kentucky. Let's, yeah, yeah. Um, more. But no longer worried about new Congress. This is uh, when he, he's hearing about, uh, Manny's hearing about the elections, right? Which they also didn't consult him about. Prof had not slipped them a cold deck, but one that was frozen solid. Then ducked Earthside while crime was committed. No use asking why, oh, she didn't even need to know what Mike had done, and could do her part better if did not suspect. Nor would anybody suspect. If was one thing all people took for granted was conviction that if you feed honest figures into a computer, honest figures come out. Never doubted it myself till I met a computer with sense of humor. Changed mind about suggesting that Stu be let in on Mike's self-awareness. Three was two too many. Or perhaps three. My, I started to say, and changed to, my word, sounds efficient. How big did we win? Adam answered without expression. Eighty-six percent of our candidates were successful. Approximately what I had expected. Approximately, approximately my left arm, my false left arm. Exactly what expected, Mike old ironmongery. Withdraw objection to a noon session. I'll be there. Okay. Um, so much. <laughs> so much here. Now, um, I want to set aside for a second Manny's own attitude towards manipulating elections. Right. Manny's fine with manipulating election. He's actually, his concern is for the free elections. Right. The last thing he wants is to actually have free elections and let the Yammerheads run, run, the, run the program. Right. That's what he's upset about. He's upset about the possibility that they actually did have free elections. Right. So let's set that aside for a second, though. Um, let's talk about Prof first. Prof, um, once again, you know, Mr. Anarchy, right? Uh, you know, someone who is uh, first and whose first and foremost principle is for the independence of personal choice and personal responsibility um, is OK with the manipulation of public elections like this. Right. Um, but then the second thing, why? Notice what just happened with Wyo? What do we see from Manny to Wyo there? Did you notice that? No use asking Wyo. She didn't even need to know what Mike had done and could do her part better if did not suspect. Yeah, Devore, he does something very close to what Prof has been doing to him. Um, Wyo, just as we've been listening to Manny talk and we are able to see around it, right? We're listening to Manny talk, and we are 
hearing what's really going on, right? Like with that uh, speech he made before Congress a couple slides ago, right? He doesn't suspect that he was being manipulated, right? Um, but it was clear not only that he was being manipulated, it was clear why he was being manipulated. Why? Because he could do his part better if he did not suspect how he was being manipulated, right? Wyo is being manipulated. How? What? She doesn't suspect that Mike has rigged the elections, right? Manny is listening to her tell the story of the elections, and he is seeing around that, right? He, he, and he, he, he can parse this immediately. He knows just what it means. Okay, yeah, Mike has absolutely rigged these elections, and it was super easy to do, right? He didn't have to do anything with the elections, let them proceed. They yeah, had this whole system, which Wyo was really proud of, right? Um, where they confirmed everybody's identities, and then everybody voted, and made sure that the votes got entered just as they uh, just as they voted them, and everything. And then what happened? And then Mike sure that Mike made sure that the results came out exactly as he wanted them to be. Um, and Manny knows for a fact that that's what happened, but he doesn't. He knows there's no use asking Wyo about this because she wasn't even in on it. She doesn't even suspect it. And she shouldn't. He shouldn't even mention it to her because it would be harder for her to do her job if she knew. Um, yeah. Um, so that's interesting, right? Interesting to see that pattern continuing. Um, Manny is not just a victim of this, right? He is, uh, he not only agrees with it when it comes out, like is okay with being manipulated like this in those occasions in which he is told uh, what's happening, but he's also comfortable doing it to others. Um, but now let's think about Manny's relationship with um, elections, with free elections, right? Um, he's delighted to find that Mike has rigged the elections. It's just what he would have wanted because he doesn't trust people. He, again, he freaks out when he thinks that they held free elections. Um, uh, yeah, David, I agree with you that um, he's not asking why because he knows Mike. He, uh, Manny knows Mike. And Prof wouldn't have told, uh, wouldn't have told her. Yeah, yeah. Um, agreed, agreed. Um, anyway, okay. Manny is not a liar. He can't act, right? Um, he is honest. Remember when um, Manny in that conversation that we looked at last time where Prof and uh, Manny are talking on Earth and um, uh, Prof says that Manny's honest, right? Um, and uh, Manny says, I'm not too honest, right? Um, he knows they're lying. He knows they're cheating. He knows they're stealing. He knows they're manipulating people. Um, he knows they're rigging things. He's fine with that. Manny's been fine with that from the beginning, right? We saw references earlier on to twinges of his conscience, 
especially about the stealing. Stealing from other loonies. Not stealing from the authority. Everybody does that. That's a good thing, right? Um, but stealing from other loonies. Um, he had twinges about that. Um, he has no twinges about this. Again, he's actively relieved when he finds out that the whole thing was a sham all the way through. Um, and uh, he... So he does not... Yeah, Carrie, he does not believe in democracy. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, and uh, he doesn't care, doesn't have any twinges, it seems, about the manipulation of the news, right? The wholesale lying to the people of Luna, right? In order to... He didn't seem to have any problem with trying to incite them to bad behavior, which would often result in their deaths, right? Uh, with the Peace Dragoons earlier on. Um, he seems generally comfortable with using the most efficient means to achieve the ends that they agree are good ends to achieve, right? Um, again, that's the... I mean, the reason he seems alarmed at the idea about the new Congress is that if they actually had free elections, they could lose control over this. And he's not interested in his own power. It's not about that, right? It's about compromise, it seems to me anyway, to be about compromising the efficiency with which they can achieve the ends that they want to achieve. How are they going to get anything done if they lose control of the situation? And like, you know, and one of those Yammerheads gets elected instead, right? Um, it's all about carrying out the program, right? It's all about uh, uh, making the system, the circuit work. Um, and if it works, if it outputs the thing that he agrees should be outputted is best to output, namely a free Luna, right? Then he doesn't seem troubled generally by what goes into it. That more. Prof on taxation. Comrades, I beg you, as he's speaking to the Congress, the second Congress, not the first one, Comrades, I beg you, do not resort to compulsory taxation. There is no worse tyranny than to force a man to pay for what he does not want merely because you think it would be good for him. Prof bowed and left. Stu and I followed him. Once in an otherwise empty capsule, I tackled him. Prof, I liked much that you said, but about taxation, aren't you talking one thing and doing another? Who do you think is going to pay for all this spending we're doing? He was silent long moments, then said, Manuel, my only ambition is to reach the day when I can stop pretending to be a chief executive. Is no answer. You have put your finger on the dilemma of all government, and the reason I am an anarchist. The power to tax, once conceded, has no limits. It, contain, it contains until it destroys. I was not joking when I told them to dig into their own pouches. It may not be possible to... to it may not be possible to do away with government. Sometimes I think that government is an inescapable disease of human beings. But it may be possible to keep it small and starved and inoffensive. And can you think of a better way than by requiring the governors themselves to pay the costs of their antisocial hobby? Okay, so a couple th again, notice we, there are several levels, right, on which we can kind of tackle this. First, 
um, sort of the explicit content that is the prof's actual opinion on taxation itself, right? Um, how he is trying to get them to not exert control over other people, right? Um, there is no worse tyranny than to force a man to pay for what he does not want merely because you think it would be good for him. Wait, actually, I have, I have, I have some nominees. I have some nominees, right? Um, uh, what about um, what might be a worse tyranny than that? How about trying to force a man to, you know, to fight and die for something that, like, isn't that you manufactured, right? Uh, I mean. It's not the same, right? It's not the same. But the way that he is um, compulsory taxation is tyranny, right? One person ruling over and dominating another. He himself was saying the freedom of the press is the only real freedom, right? You will, Luna will never be free until it has freedom of the press. Um, that censorship and control of information is itself like a kind of tyranny because it deprives people of the full use of their own choice. They, the executive revolutionary cell, has been involved in a long campaign of not compelling, but maneuvering, manipulating the loonies into not only doing what they want them to do, but wanting what they want them to want. Right. And ultimately being willing to die for that which they, the executive cell, deems should be a reason they should want to die. Um, uh, this is. Yeah. Um, tyranny. Right. A different kind of tyranny. Now. um Manny. Manny's uncomfortable. And he's uncomfortable because Prof seems to be talking one thing and doing another. Um, and here he's just talking about money. I mean, you're saying taxation is bad, right? Um, but who do you think is going to pay for all this spending we're doing? Right? I mean, we get money. Um, we get money out of people, right? Um, is is what we're doing with money better than this? Like, how can you do that? Like, aren't you doing, saying, talking one thing and doing another, right? But of course, he's not even thinking about the bigger thing. Manny seems to have kind of brushed off um, Prof's speech about Benjamin Franklin, right? And setting type by hand and all that kind of thing, right? Um, remember, that was the same conversation in which uh, Prof wanted to bring the brass cannon back with him, right? And have the brass cannon on the fire. I think that's the same conversation. Um, and both things, both the brass cannon and the speech about free press, which Manny doesn't care about, um, both of those, Manny seemed to dismiss as idiosyncrasies of Prof, right? Charming, 
ones that he might feel affectionate towards, like, oh, there goes Prof again, talking about the freedom of the press, right? Um, one of Prof's little, you know, principles that he sometimes talks about that Manny doesn't share and doesn't really care much about, right? But if he hadn't brushed it off, then he might be alarmed on an, that uh, Prof is talking one thing and doing another on far deeper levels than merely the money question that Manny calls him on here, right? Um, what's going on in Prof's head? What's going on in Prof's head? Well, we get one glimpse of it here. What is his answer to the question of who do you think is going to pay for all this spending we're doing? Answer, my only ambition is to reach the day when I can stop pretending to be a chief executive. Is he talking one thing and doing another? Yeah, in one sense. Um, but there's in more than one sense, really, right? Yeah, Manny's, of course, perfectly correct about that. But he's also pretending to be a chief executive. Um, why? How? Because that's what chief executives do. Talk one thing and do another, right? Um, this kind of you know, using rhetoric to manipulate the crowd into, you know, and uh, exerting tyranny, right? Um, chief executives are tyrants in Prof's world, right? So he's why he's an anarchist, right? Um, you know, as he says, you, you, you're, you're, you've put your finger on the dilemma of all government and the reason I am an anarchist. He is an anarchist because he believes in, in the end, all chief executive, any chief executive is a tyrant. Because to have executive power over another human being is to be a tyrant, as far as Prof is concerned, right? So in as much as he is acting as a chief executive, um, he is talking one thing and doing another, right? He is acting in direct violation of his own deepest principles and beliefs, right? But again, it's because there's another, like, yes, he is saying one thing to the people and doing the opposite thing behind their backs, right? But that thing that he's doing behind his backs is all there. That's also him talking one thing and doing another, right? Um, he's only pretending to be a chief executive. He doesn't actually believe in any of this. Um, he thinks all of this is wrong. So why does he do it? Why does he do it? Um, yeah, Stephen says, Prof is an anarchist in the same sense he is a vegetarian and a pacifist. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, well, let's see where he keeps going from here. Manny says, still doesn't say how to pay for what we are doing now. How, Manuel? You know how we are doing it. We're stealing it. I'm neither proud of it nor ashamed. It's the means we have. If they ever catch on, they may eliminate us. And that I am prepared to face. At least in stealing, we have not created the villainous precedent of taxation. Prof, I hate, I hate to say this. Then why say it? Because, damn it, I'm in it as deeply as you are and want to see that money paid back. Hate to say it, but what you, said what you just said sounds like hypocrisy. He chuckled. Dear Manuel, has it taken you all these years to decide that I am a hypocrite? Then you admit it? No, but if it makes you feel better to think that I am one, you are welcome to use me as your scapegoat. 
But I am not a hypocrite to myself, because I was aware the day we declared the revolution that we would need much money and would have to steal it. It did not trouble me, because I considered it better than food riots six years hence, cannibalism in eight. I made my choice and have no regrets. Prof considers that he is not a hypocrite because he um, he's not a hypocrite to himself because he's not been lying to himself this whole time. He has chosen to act in ways that violate his principles with his eyes open, knowing full well in advance that he was going to be doing all of these things. Um, that he was going to be doing all these things that it would be immoral for him, he would consider immoral for him as an individual to do, right? Why? I considered it better than food riot six years hence, cannibalism in eight. I made my choice and have no regrets. Um, he uses the word explicitly, right? Um, it's the means we have, right? He believes in the end. He believes that the end he is attempting to achieve, namely um, saving the lives of all of the people of Luna, right? Preventing the food riots and, and famine uh, that he has, that they have calculated, right? That he absolutely believes is going to happen. This is the means that is required in order to bring about that good end. And therefore, we must do it. It's the means we have. If we have to steal, then we steal. Um, if we have to lie, then we lie. If we have to um, not just violate, but hang, draw, and quarter the freedom of the press, then we do it, right? Um, that is where Prof is. How is that different from Manny's perspective? Manny's a little shocked by this, right? Um, is he a hypocrite? Yeah. Yeah, he is. He is. Um, I mean, is he talking one thing and doing another? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, yes, he is, right? Again, sort of doubly, as um, Gandalf might say, um, he's doubly a hypocrite. He's talking one thing, doing another, and believing a third, right? And none of those th things are in line. Well, there's, in some ways, similarities between the 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 uh, the, the um, opposite edges of that scenario, right? Um, what he believes and what he says have a nodding acquaintance with each other, right? But what's in the middle? what he's actually doing uh, in between the thing that he believes and the thing that he says in public um, is in absolute, total um, uh, um, absolute, total violation um, of, that, uh, of that principle. And um, David, I agree with you. I can't go along with Prof here. I can't. I don't understand that. You know, David was saying this is an absurd argument. You can't dodge the claim of hypocrisy by saying that you knew you'd have to be one at the outset. Uh, agreed. I, and I didn't expect him to go here. Um, I expected him to. You know, when he said, um, 
has it taken you all these years to decide that I am a hypocrite? Right. Uh, remember, Manny himself is like that, like the business, uh, uh, you know, Stephen Keen about his uh, vegetarianism and his pacifism. Remember the joke that Manny makes about Prof making a good theologian, right? Um, uh, he, Manny knows this, right? And yet he's really uncomfortable with the hypocrisy, right? Seeing how deep the hypocrisy goes here, which again, I think we've seen that it's even deeper than Manny is aware of, right? Or that Manny has fully processed. Um, and so it sounds like he is admitting it, as Manny suggests. But then he tries to turn it around and say, no, no, I'm not a hypocrite to myself. I'm not a hypocrite to myself. He believes that he is being consistent. Consistent to his principles. Because his principles say that, I guess, his principles say doing the right thing by any means, right? Pursuing any means to achieve a good end is permissible. He believes that. That's the, that's the thing. I, at the end of the day, I think that's the core thing. That's why Prof can say he's not a hypocrite. And not because he's not talking one thing and doing another. Of course he is, right? But because he's not betraying that core principle. I made my choice and have no regrets. The only regret he would have would be not pursuing any end that he could pursue in order to achieve this goal, because the achievement of this goal is the important thing. Right? I mean, that's how I'm understanding it. Um, and uh, how... How is this different, again, from Manny's perspective? Manny's uncomfortable with this. Hate to say this. I love Prof's response. Then why say it, if you hate to say it? But he insists on saying it. Prof just says, let it, let it go. Don't say it. If you hate to say it, don't say it. But he has to, not only does he feel that he has to say it, but he repeats the phrase again. Hate to say it, but, right? Um, he dislikes the idea even of accusing Prof of hypocrisy, even when the hypocrisy is obvious. Again, defining hypocrisy in one way, differently, apparently, from how Prof is defining it uh, in that last paragraph. Um, But he doesn't have a problem with rigging the elections. He doesn't have a problem with manipulating people. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't object to any of their means. Right? But he wants to pay the money back. Um, is he merely less absolute in his pursuit of the ends by any means? Is he just kind of temporizing more than Prof is? Right. Like um, I'm willing, willing to steal for now so long as we pay it back later. Right. And make it right again. It's OK to use that as a means, but it's not OK just to embrace the stealing from other loonies. Right. Um, 
Like if you have to do it and you're going to make it right later, then it's okay. But I mean, he comes back to that, right? I want to see that money paid back. Right. Um, so Steve and I agree. I think that he does seem to have some belief of right and wrong means. Yeah. It's not, um, a, well, no, I, I think he does have a consistent moral code. Okay, he's not like blanketly anti-dishonesty or something like that, right? Um, uh, Prof's principles are far more uh, idealistic, right? But he is willing to apparently sort of cast them aside much more freely. Um, uh yeah, David, I agree. It's consistent with the Manny we met at the beginning. He'll steal from the authority, but not from other loonies. Exactly, exactly. That still that 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 means that's the thing that's like a step too far for Manny, right? Um, and that's why he keeps coming back to this here. I, um, Stephen Cover, I've been thinking the same thing. Of course, Stephen was just saying, uh, uh, seeing as how we just finished up the Council of Elrond and exploring the Lord of the Rings, I just can't help but see how I can't help but see just how different Prof's views are uh, from those of the wise in Middle Earth. Absolutely, I could not help but think of that too. It's um, extreme. The um, I am I have been too. Deeply impacted by Tolkien over my life, uh, to not be uncomfortable with Prof here. Um, uh, I I feel Stephen like Tolkien has trained me uh, for most of my life uh, to be wary of uh, people who put the means before the ends uh, like this, um, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, it makes it certainly does make me. I think that Prof is a is a charming character. I I really like Prof, or I, I sort of I want to like Prof, um, but um, I I have a hard time. I have a hard time with this, right? Um, but once again, I um, I come back to what I you know have been saying from near the beginning. I think that Heinlein does a really interesting job of kind of putting this stuff out there, right? I think, anyway, that Heinlein is being is not being extremely dogmatic about this, in a sense, right? Because he is, he presents this. Not only are we, I think most of us, uncomfortable on some level um, in thinking about this and in, in reading this and hearing Prof talking about this, but again, Manny himself is uncomfortable with it. Um, and, you know, we have been trained from the beginning of this book to be like other loonies, right? And follow Manny's lead, right? Uh, to take Manny's lead uh, when it comes to responding to things. Um, and Manny himself is confused and uncomfortable with what's going on here. Um, and, um, you know, so you can say one could easily make an argument. I could easily imagine an argument that says Prof is, you know, like the um, through Prof, you know, Heinlein is, uh, you know, if again, if if there is a sense in which this book works as a kind of um, uh, as a kind of uh, uh, utopia, Prof is one of the mouthpieces of it. Right. You know, that that he is uh, 
uh, he is through Prof trying to depict in uh, an attractive way, right? This particular um, philosophy, um, uh, anarchist philosophy. Um, you know that that you know I, I could see somebody saying like this is clearly Heinlein's agenda, right? In this book. Um, uh, and, you know, he's putting like his, you know, his own beliefs or his own agenda or whatever in Prof's mouth. I could easily imagine somebody saying that. Um, but I don't think it's that simple. Um, I think certainly the story has not left it that simple uh, because we have Manny. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, James says, Prof is more upset about the abstract principle of taxation uh, than actual theft. Um, if that's idealism, it's a weird species of it. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and again, but again, but again, James, the thing that I would say is I find that there's a, there's a, there's a kind of disarming openness about Prof, right? Um, he is... Uh, I mean, is there such a thing as a completely open hypocrite? I mean, that's, at the end of the day, what hypocrisy is, right? Pretending to be one thing when you're really something else. And in a sense, he's doing that. And to, to some people, he's doing, to the public, he's doing that. Um, but, um, but not to the reader. And mostly, not to Manny either, right? Um, he's not pretending to be one thing. He's... If you want to build arguments, if you want to build an argument that says the things that Prof does are horrible, horrible, right? Now, you always have to be careful when you're making moral judgments like that when you're reading a book. Like, it's perfectly fine to have your own moral reactions to things, but you got to be careful not to just project them into the book, right? I mean, if it's, if it's just you, yourself, you know, with your own personal moral framework, you know, and not to mention, by the way, your earthworm biases um, that lead you to react in one way. Well, what does that say? Right. That's in, might be tell us something interesting about you, but it doesn't say anything necessarily interesting about the book or the character. Right. So you always have to look internally. Right. Based on the 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 internal, you know, moral economy of this story. Um, can we conclude that the things that Prof does are horrible? like those things, those means towards the end, that those are bad means. Um, if we wanted to build that argument, how would we build it? What evidence would we use to argue that the things that Prof does are wrong? If you wanted to build that argument, how would you build it? By quoting Prof, right? All the way through. Almost every piece of evidence that you would have, clear evidence to point to, that this is wrong, this is bad, uh, we're supposed to be uncomfortable with this, right? Comes out of Prof's mouth himself, Right? Which is, as I say, it's kind of disarming, right? And yet he is thoroughgoing and consistent in his embracing of this kind of not exactly hypocrisy, but uh, certainly his willingness to compromise these deeply held principles for the sake of that yet deeper one, apparently, which is the choice that he made and has no regrets for, right? To save the lives of everyone else, it is worth it to betray all of his deepest held principles, even to the point of not just supporting a government, right? Not just establishing a government, but being a government, running a government, despite the fact that he's an anarchist, right? Which Manny 
I think that goes over Manny's head, right? He doesn't realize how weird that is for Prof. Um, how, 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 how much that hurts Prof, right? To uh, pretend to be a chief executive. Um, anyway, um, more on that subject. As he's transitioning to talking about the war and um, the uh, government setup and stuff, he says, I don't know how much to tell. Can't tell all, but stuff in history books is so wrong. I was no better a defense minister than congressman. Not apologizing. Had no training for either. Revolution is an amateur thing for almost everybody. Prof was only one who seemed to know what he was doing, and at that was new to him too. He had never taken part in a successful revolution or ever been a part of a government, much less head. Again, there's an example of where he just kind of tosses this out, like, yeah, of course Prof is the head of the government, not realizing how um, incredibly uncomfortable a position they are putting the dedicated anarchist in. Uh, by making him the head of a government. Um, could you please not only be head of the government, but through the precedent of your actions, establish, uh, you know, government rule over Luna for all posterity? Yeah, like let's, let's ask the anarchist to do that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, What does this tell us about Manny's perspective? And Devorum, coming back again to your question about who's the audience here, this is one of those one of the passages in the whole book that I think is most interesting in that regard. Don't know how much to tell. Can't tell all, but stuff in history books is so wrong. He's setting the record straight, except not the whole record. He can't tell everything. Even that's a really interesting point because he kind of made it sound most of the time like he's telling everything. There's only one thing that he has confessed to not revealing, right? Um, Which was the location of the new catapult. Um, He referred to the fact that the history books are incorrect about that, right? Um, Uh... But that was the only one. The tone, it would seem, the tone, at least most of the rest of the time, has been essentially, um, here's the real story, right? You guys probably, you know, you've heard the stories. You might have read the histories, right? I'm going to tell you what really happened behind the scenes in the revolution, how it really went down. And he's spilling the beans about Mike, right? Which most of the people in the revolution didn't even know, right? Um, and so that by itself, you know, and with all of the repeated emphasis on how important it is to keep secret the, you know, Mike's existence, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he's telling us that, right? So that gives the impression that he's telling everything. And now, but now he's saying, can't tell all. What's he not telling? What's he not telling? I don't know. I don't. I don't know anymore what he's not telling, right? And it makes me wonder why he's telling what he's telling. 
he admits he doesn't know how much to tell. There's no clear rule. There's no clear principle that he's following in this. He believes that he can't tell everything. But he seems to be impelled by the wrongness of the history books. Um, that stuff is so wrong. He wants to set the record straight, but he's not going to tell everything. Um, Devorah, I agree. Devorah says, I have to think he's talking to a younger generation of loonies, but what I can't figure out is why. What caused him to come out with the story? Devorah, that last sentence there in that first paragraph seems to me to be the clearest, most frank statement addressing exactly that thing that we've seen. Stuff in history books is so wrong. That seems to be what caused him to come out with the story. Um, like, I don't know what, he can't take it anymore? But let's keep looking at that. Let's keep thinking about that as we move forward, especially as we get to the very end of the story. Um, but um, uh, but this is a really, really interesting data point uh, in that overall question. Um, James, I agree. From the historical perspective, to admit that Adam Selene is a made-up persona has to be a huge deal. Huge deal. Huge deal. I can only imagine what they do with Adam Selene in the history books, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. But anyway, we'll, we'll come back to this. We're not going to get to finish the battle sequence, but let's do a couple slides and then we'll end. Um, because how this goes down is just fascinating. Um, remember the context of the setting. Manny gets caught without his pea suit. Right. Um, after telling everybody to be with your pea suits all the time, pea suit discipline starts to get laxer and laxer. And then he himself admits that he himself didn't have his pea suit with him on the day the attacks came. Right. Um, but he finally, you know, seals him behind himself on an airlock and then finally gets to a phone. Um, caught breath. Operation Hard Rock. Prepare to execute. Program ready. Man, not being able to reach you. I used your voice. Playback. Yet, yes, da. Heard myself tell watch officer at old catapult head to go on red alert for hard rock. First load at launch, all others on belts, everything cast loose, but do not launch until ordered by me personally, then launch to plan, full automatic. I made him repeat back. Okay, I told Mike. Drill gun crews? Your voice again. Manned and then sent back to ready rooms. That command ship won't reach uh, won't reach Apollonian for three hours for for three hours four point seven minutes, no target for more than five hours. He may maneuver or launch missiles. Slow down, man. Even a missile I'll see with minutes to spare. It's full bright lunar up there now. How much do you want the men to take unnecessarily? Okay. Manny was unprepared, right? Manny doesn't know what's happening. He dashes in to call Mike and finds not only that Mike knows what's going on, right? Well, of course, remaining himself perfect Manny, or Mike remaining himself perfectly calm, right, through the whole thing, right, through the whole exchange, while Manny is in an understandable state of panic, right? Um, not only do we have this sort of discrepancy, but Mike has 
calmly executed the plan, right? Um, and he's, uh, he's, he's thought of everything. He's considered all of the options, right? He has made all of the decisions. And even when Manny is inclined to override Mike's decisions, Mike is able calmly to talk him out of it. Slow down, man. Um, but of course, and so that alone... And this, oh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting which one of you was talking about this, the reversal of Mike and Manny's position earlier on. And I said we'd get there, right? Look how we see this happening here, right? Um, remember the, that at least avuncular, almost paternal relationship that Manny had with Mike. Manny was the authority. He was the one, you know, teaching Mike the facts of life, right? Um, and now we see him being calmed down and you know we and you know and sort of lectured by mike right as to what would be best that reversal um that reversal would be interesting enough right but it is deeply underscored and complicated by the fact that mike is using manny right as a figurehead throughout this whole thing. Um, you know, as I sort of jokingly said in my subtitle here, Manny thinks of everything, right? Um, how did Manny respond at the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of the battle, uh, in the, in, uh, in corridors, right? Um, boy, the battle in corridors, boy, that was a day in which, uh, you know, Manuel Kelly Davis really rose to the occasion, didn't he? Right. I mean, it was Manuel O'Kelly Davis, right? General Manuel O'Kelly Davis, who um, uh, in the moment of crisis kept his calm, right? And uh, calmly uh, delivered the order to prepare to launch uh, to the officer, the watch officer at the old catapult, right? While practically simultaneously, right, he was um, commanding the, the, the gun crews, uh, the the drill gun crews to you know be uh, uh, to be ready and uh, you know getting them organized and ready to go. Um, it's um, it's it's. I mean, he did he 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 did it all right. He did it all. Um, he was the man of the day. Manny was. They could never have won the battle without Manny. Um, except he doesn't do any of it. Right. It's all Mike. It's all Mike. Um, pretending to be him, um, using his voice. And notice how, that, again, that gets emphasized by um, uh, do not launch until ordered by me personally, says Mike impersonating Manny, right? I guess that counts as hearing from Manny personally, right? Mike has said... Uh, in the persona of Manny, don't launch until ordered by me personally. I mean, the irony of that, you know, the sort of the dramatic irony of that sentence is really rich, right? Um, and of course, as is the contrast between the real Manny behind the scenes and the fake Manny, the Mike Manny, right? The impersonation of Manny, who in fact keeps his calm and, uh, with incredible efficiency, 
does all the right things to get everything in train, right, to uh, uh, to repel the invaders. Um, when the real Manny is panting and panicking and would have done the wrong thing, right, if Mike hadn't talked him into it. Um, Stephen Cover, you're right. Uh, first they created Adam Celine, and now Mike is creating a new Manny, right? Um, yes, yes. Um, he goes on. Manny goes on. Uh, sorry. Better let me talk to Greg. Playback, <laughs> says Mike. Heard my voice talking to my co-husband at Mare Undarum. I sounded tense but calm. Mike had given him situation, had told him to prepare Operation Little David Sling, which is the, the new catapult, keeping it on standby for full automatic. I had assured him that Master Computer would keep standby computer programmed and shift would be made automatically if communication was broken. I also told him that he must take command and use own judgment if communication was lost and not restored after four hours. Listen to Earthside Radio and make up own mind. Greg had taken it quietly, repeated his orders, and then had said, Manny, tell family I love them. Okay, so first, Mike is impersonating Manny in giving the orders, right? Now, Mike had done me proud. He had answered for me with just the right embarrassed choke. I'll do that, Greg. And look, Grego, I love you too. You know that, don't you? I know it, Manny, and I'm going to say a special prayer for you. Thanks, Greg. Bye, Manny. Go do what you must. Oh, this touching exchange. What might be the final farewell between the two co-husbands? And, and oh, my God, and the final, like, give my love to the family. And, I, oh, I, this, what a touching moment, right? What a touching moment for which Manny is a spectator, right? He just witnessed, not an eyewitness, he's an ear witness, I suppose. Um, he was a witness of a dramatic scene from his own life, right? Um what does he respond? So I went and did what I had to do. Mike had played my role as well or better than I could. Finn, when he could be reached, would be handled by Adam. So I left, fast, calling out Greg's message of love to Mum. She was pea-suited and had roused Grandpa and suited him, suited him in, first time in years. So out I went, helmet closed and laser gun in hand. What is he doing? I went and did what I had to do which is apparently go charging out with a laser gun. Well, that's something Mike can't do, right? Um, and we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see more of what he does with the laser, with the laser gun and what he accomplishes with the laser gun later on. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, what's Manny's reaction? Manny just, is Manny bothered? Doesn't seem bothered. Um, he seems fine with it, right? Mike had done me proud. Um, Mike had played my role as well or better than I could. I'm not sure that I think that Manny's upset about this. Um, he seems to accept, just as he accepts Mike's correction, when Mike tell, you know, is telling him to, you know, don't command the men to go, um, be out in the radiation for longer than they have to be when, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's not a smart move. He accepts that, right? Yes. Mike is correct. Mike is staying calm. Mike is correct. Um, Mike handled all this just fine. 
right? Yeah, he, on the one hand, Mike was just, it was impersonated, it was fake all along. And yet, he had played his role as well or better than I could. Manny has no criticism to offer. Um, he said all the things exactly that I would have said. And in the way I would have said them. So fine. It was, it's like, I might, you know, it saves me the bother of doing it myself. Um, I don't think, he doesn't seem troubled by this. Um, but, um, I go back to cyborgs again, right? What's the relationship between Manny's brain and Mike at this point, right? Um, where do the boundaries lie there? It's really interesting, isn't it? Um, Tune in next time, uh, and we'll talk about um, uh, what he does with the laser gun in his hand. Um, and make sure next time, make sure I don't forget the title of Section 3, right? What Section 3 is called? Um, anyway, okay. So, uh, we'll stop for tonight. I don't want to keep going too late. Um, but um, we'll pick it up with uh, in the midst of the battles, um, the battle in the corridors um, next time. Um, let's read the next two. There are five more chapters left after the ones that we read for today. Um, read the next two. Um, so that's the so read through the first five chapters of part three. If I'm remembering correctly, that's through twenty seven. I'm forgetting the numbers. Um, uh, whatever that is. Um, but. Um, yeah, I think it's 27, I want to say. Um, uh, somebody can look it up and tell me if I'm right or wrong there. Um, I think it is. I think it's through 27. Um, uh, but anyway, so yeah, so read read through the next two. So again, the, through the first five chapters of part three. Uh, and we will hope to get through most of that next time. And then because we, we have two more sessions left uh, and then we will be done uh, with The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Thank you guys so much. This is a really fun discussion, uh, and I look forward to seeing how things turn out and how these. Uh, I, I love how all of these sort of lines of of uh, discussion are really coming together here uh, as we're moving through. It's pretty cool. Um, so, looking forward to seeing that continue as we move into next week. Thanks everybody, and have a good night. See you next time. <laughs>